Hello, and welcome to the Thoughts on Money podcast, what we like to call Tom. I am Trevor Cummings, the host of the podcast and the author of your blog, and I got a special guest today. This is not going to be a solo podcast. I have my co-worker and longtime friend, Sean Latimer, here with us, uh, another advisor with the Bonson Group. Sean Latimer, say hello to the crowd. Hello, everyone. Trevor, thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Yeah, we're excited to have you here. You know what the crazy thing is? Um, we've worked together here at the Bonson Group for some time, but we've been friends a lot longer. Have we been friends for 15 years? Just about. 15 years. Makes me feel old. We are old. <laughs> That's a long time. <laughs> well, hey, I invited you in today because I wrote an article uh, this week, and it's titled, Temper Your Tantrums. And you knew me when I competed in BMX racing, which was the intro to this article. So I thought you'd be the perfect guest to invite. And uh, I think back in that time, you were also competing, different sport. You were fighting people. Yeah, I, uh, <laughs> I did uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. I wrestled through school and uh, different sports, but uh, similar expectations. Yeah. You know, you, you're, you're focused on individual results. And uh, yeah, that's right. Which is crazy because when you were doing it, that world was just kind of coming up. I know we had a friend of a friend that owned that clothing company uh, in the, the – what is that world called? Is it mixed martial arts, MMA? Yeah, the MMA yeah. world. So I know somebody became really wealthy from a clothing company. And then is Joe Rogan from that world? How does he fit in? Joe Rogan is from that world. He started as you know TV personality and then he was a commentator for the UFC and – um, he's kind of exploded as far as the content creation and things he does now. But yeah, he, he started as a fan. And and you it, saw last week, it was it no, not last week, maybe three weeks ago that he sold his podcast. To Spotify, was Spotify. it? Spotify. Yeah. I think it was $100 million that's, or something. That's right. Yeah, that, is, that really drew light to the podcast world and kind of how popular they are. Uh, it's why we're sitting here. Yeah. Uh, it's a great opportunity for us to kind of break down these articles. Well, I introed the article, and you kind of alluded to it, was this idea that when I used to race BMX, it was fun. I gave some background, right? I used to travel a lot. Uh, most of it was in the United States, but we competed in Canada. And kind of when I left the sport, I had friends that would go to South Africa. Uh, I mentioned a friend got bronze at the Beijing Olympics. But I remember when you were coming up the ranks, you always were aspirational about trying to achieve something new. They talked about, hey, at the local level, I wanted to win. Once that was satisfied, then I wanted to win at the state level and the national level. But I remember when you were competing, you would get ranked against each other. And I remember traveling to races, like I mentioned the article, going to Colorado and traveling and knowing that if I didn't get first place, that the trip was a waste of time. Which is kind of funny because I built these crazy expectations. And I'm sure it's similar with you is that once you won a couple events or, you know, you've won a match, you probably set higher expectations. Is that a fair assumption? Yeah, because they, they would categorize the tournaments the same way. And you know, once you would place or do well in one tournament, uh, if you didn't do the same or something better in the, in the higher level, you felt like it was a waste. And then it, it does kind of, uh, in a way, take some of the fun out of it because then the expectation is to win not to enjoy the sport that you're competing in. Yeah, which is crazy. And for, for folks like me and you that are competitive, it's almost impossible um, that we still want to derive fun from it. But I know you're a golfer and I know you go out there and if you don't shoot kind of uh, your normal handicap or your normal game expectations, you had fun. You're out there, you got some sun, you hit some good shots, but you're like, ah, if I would have just done this differently. Uh, and that's kind of what the the groundwork I'm trying to lay is that 
I gave that example of going to Colorado. I ended up getting second place, coming home super disappointed, which is crazy to me because me two years before that would have been ecstatic about getting second place. Um, But I, I wanted to make this point that was second place bad? No, it wasn't. But it wasn't about bad or good. It was about better or worse than expected. And I'm sure you can relate to that, right? Yeah, absolutely. The, you mentioned the golf example. I, I'll be out there, and if I know I'm not playing well, then I have to re- remember that, hey, at least I'm outside, I'm enjoying the day, and, and I have to kind of convince myself that uh, don't let this ruin the day. And it's true. You know, if, if things aren't, even though bad news might be bad, if it's not as bad as we thought, we have to look at that as a positive. Yeah, and that's a good segue for us to talk about markets. Um, and we use this terminology a lot, uh, about how things are priced into the market, but we also want to may be accommodating for our listeners here on thoughts on money. When you hear somebody say that that something is quote unquote priced into the market, what do they mean by that? Well, it really just means that whatever you're thinking might have an impact on market prices. Um, it's it's already in there, and if if you're having that thought, someone else has already had that thought, and it's already. Uh, kind of contextualized and it's in the market. So just this is kind of a broad scale, but originally when the pandemic started, the worst case scenario was initially priced into the market and we saw Dow 18,000. Yeah, the market went down 35% because it wanted to price in what does worst case scenario look like. And it seems like we often forget that market prices, they're made up of some level of sentiment. And we are human beings, and that sentiment is kind of ever-changing. Would you agree with that? Completely. It, it reminds me of, uh, so my wife and I, we have two little boys, and we're talking about the school year. And uh, every day, my wife Sarah would hear something new of how schools are not opening up for two years, or a year, or it's going to be virtual forever. And it was I would kind of make fun of it, because every week, the perspective would change, or the opinion would change, which I could say argue is the same for the market because it's always ever-changing, like you said, which changes the expectation. So it's kind of like a moving target. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and the reason I wanted to write about this is where I draw a lot of my subjects from is what people are talking about. So I have a handful of friends that I enjoy. I enjoy that we text back and forth about markets and things like that and what's going on. And it, I don't know, it satiates their appetite to, to, to the curiosity of what markets do and why they do it. And one question I'm getting from that group of friends a lot of the time is, how could there be so much bad news out there and the market be 5% off the all-time high? Or, you know, it got even uh, thinner than that. And the thing that I'm replying to them is that you have to remember, if you believe that markets have some level of efficiency to them, that all the news out there is known by the market and it's being priced in. So it, it's not about good news or bad news. Is it better or worse than we expected? Absolutely. And uh, yeah, I think that goes to the point that the second that the the news changes or it's maybe thought it won't be as bad as we thought, uh, it's going to change the expectation and the market's going to show that difference. Now, you read the article. Had you heard that uh, reference I, I had to Keynes and, uh, and how he tried to describe it in his book some, some time ago? The beauty contest, is that familiar to you? Yeah, it, I thought it was interesting because I, I have heard of the, the theory itself, but it, you put it in a good perspective that um, you're not betting on what you think will happen or you're betting on what other people think will happen. And yeah. Then, and let's unwind that because not yeah. everybody on the podcast is going to read the article, but John Maynard Keynes was trying to describe how markets are complex. And he used this example that there would be this 
the newspaper announces, hey, we're going to have this contest and what it's going to be. And it's called the beauty contest, quote unquote. But basically, hey, you you read this newspaper and we're going to give you 100 pictures of uh, beautiful people. And we want you to pick out the six most popular people that other people would pick. And it's kind of a, a brain twister because you're like, wait, so I picked the six most beautiful people? No, you have to guess what the aggregate people would pick. So then you start thinking, uh, it's not first level thinking. First level thinking would be like, let me pick the six most attractive people out of these hundred. But then I have to stop and say, oh, that will factor in my biases, my preferences, my opinions. So I actually have to think, okay, the aggregate population, what six people would they pick? And then that's second level thinking. But then you have to go third level and fourth level because you have to start thinking, what if other people are thinking like I'm thinking? Right. And, I, so and then, then you be- think, who are they sending this to? Well, what, what do I think they would pick? And you're, you're right. I can see how you really get into the layers. And that's how markets work, right? Is um, I like this quote I highlighted in the article from David is we all get caught up on like you, you were saying when you're talking to your wife, the sentiment is changing every day. And every day we're getting new tidbits of economic data. And we get caught up in you know, some of these text messages like, uh, did you see those retail sales numbers today? Right. Or did you see the new home sales or did you see this? But I like what David says. He says the message in the economic data is not about jobs or housing or consumer spending per se. It's about a forming trend whereby expectations are being continually outperformed and markets like that a lot. Maybe you could translate what he's saying there for our listeners. Yeah, I think the idea is it's not the certain data point and how that translates into more earnings in the future. Um, I think it's just, like you said, the sentiment that if it wasn't as bad as we thought, that, and if we believe it, that the market's efficient, that means that whatever's been priced in, wasn't maybe going to happen or so now you look at it so if it's not as bad as we thought that means it's going to be better and that you could also think of it if it is better than we thought well what else is going to be better than we thought and that positivity gains momentum and it's funny because that's showing up in markets in dollars and cents but it shows up in our neighborhoods right what was the attitude of your neighbors on march 23rd compared to today well it was it was panic and scared and no one's ever going to school and we can never see friends or family again and and getting... and now you're getting invited over for dinner right, right? and now right. you got um maybe this is a small kid's birthday party or something we're gonna have less people but you can see the scale starting to tip the other way it's interesting it's always the people that were the doomsdayers that are the ones having the dinner parties now so <laughs> they live on both sides exactly. of the extreme uh, another thing that you, you kind of mentioned that i think is important to point out is a lot of times uh, these tidbits we get, um, some of them are celebrated a little bit more than others. And uh, I think it's a kind of a common theme that negative news or negative attention might earn more clicks or views than positive uh, attention or positive news. And so that's another thing to keep in mind, too, is I've had experiences with clients where I know their personalities, I, I, I kind of know their tendencies, and I'll, I'll know what type of news network they watch, and I'll see what the highlights are, headlines, and they'll call and, and say they have questions. And I kind of already know where the conversation's going because they, they've had this in their face all day long. Um, maybe you can speak to that. Do you see kind of the same thing? Yeah, I definitely do. And, and the part where I think the advisor maybe doesn't get enough credit for why you would resource an advisor is the advisor is the intermediary between the client not acting on that information. 
I think that there's a, a slight fear, at least for me, is that if some of uh, the clients or friends that I have didn't have me in their corner, they would read those headlines and they would react to them and start to act them out in their portfolio. And I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to exaggerate that. That like highly concerns me. And one of the ways I interact with folks now, because I want to be a better listener, is when somebody comes to me and they say, hey, I read XYZ headline. I ask them, hey, how do you interpret that? And then they'll answer that question. And then I want to pull on that thread more. Um, okay, that's how you interpret it. Now, how are you going to you, – you've actually created a paradigm or a, a certain view on the market. How are you going to play that thesis out in your portfolio? Because I want to take them from the point of uh, whether it's having an opinion or an attitude and saying, do you believe in that strongly enough to go then – change your financial plan or adjust yeah. your investments. And obviously as an advisor, we're not, we, we're not going to uh, allow them essentially to do that. But I think that conversation helps somebody to kind of come back to uh, come back to ground, right? Yeah. Rather than kind of floating this idea of doom and gloom. It's, it's very similar to like chicken little that was kind of going around and saying that the sky is falling is my response to people is, hey, kind of where did you hear that from? Mm-hmm. How is that person positioning their portfolio? Because I love the thing from Nassim Taleb where he basically says, I don't want to hear your opinion. Show me your portfolio. Mm-hmm. Because somebody that has the fortitude to go out to a cocktail party or talk at a kid's soccer game about all this doom and gloom stuff, show me your 401k. Does it reflect this doom and gloom attitude that you have? And if it doesn't, there's a disconnect there. Mm-hmm. No, it's a, it's a good point, and uh, yeah, I agree. What else do you see that is troubling for clients? Are you well? Maybe maybe it's just me. Are you getting that question a lot? Of how could there be so much bad news out there and the market be down only X amount off of the all time highs? Yeah, it does come up. I, I think the important part is separating uh, the emotions uh, to the facts. And one way that you do that is kind of like you mentioned, tugging on the thread, but having that conversation of. Okay, you know how do you how do you feel about it? And if it's doomsday, end of the world, double digit unemployment forever, and then I, I just kind of ask questions, deeper questions, like what how, what does that look like? How do you think that does that really what you think is going to happen? And then sometimes you get an aha moment where they they stop and they go, well, no, I don't I don't think you know markets are going to go to zero, and I don't think that unemployment will be double digit forever. And then it kind of it's a good segue because um, and you've mentioned it before. Companies are looking forward for 10 years, future earnings. So if we think about it, you mentioned we've been friends for 15 years. We were both kids. feels like forever ago. But in 10 years, how is it going to look different? So I, I think that's an important lesson for clients. Yeah, I find myself constantly going back to this little anecdote. But I tell people the iPhone, like, I think the iPhone 1 was, I don't know, 12 years ago. Yeah, it was, I think, 2006. Could you imagine not having an iPhone in your pocket right now? It's like a world we can't even fathom, and it was a world that we lived in. So a decade is a long time, and and I like how you made that point that markets are not priced based on 2020 earnings. They're priced on an aggregate discount of future earnings. And I'm going to bring another David Bonson quote into here because I think the way he articulates this is really good. He he talk he's able to basically show you the reality of markets without quote unquote discounting the heaviness of the season that we're in. And this is what he says, um, I'm quoting David from the Dividend Cafe, he says, 
but beyond the human response that I know all readers share regarding all the matters at hand, think about all the matters, you know, the riots, the uh, coronavirus and everything. So with all the matters at hand, but we do have to ask, how can markets go up so much with such disarray in the society around us? And the answer, this is what David says, it seems crass, impersonal, cold, or even offensive, but they are accurate descriptors. Markets are pure discounters of future earnings, period. Markets, as much as they are, are really trying to fundamentally find the net present value of those future cash flows. And I'm not going to go as far to say that markets aren't catching some of the sentiment, because they are. But you have to remember that markets are a leading indicator. So all that bad news that you told me at my kid's soccer uh, game or at lunch or when you were sending me a text message, that's already been priced into the market. Mm -hmm. That's why the market went down 35%. Right. Why is the market rebounding? Because now it's looking into 2021, 2022, and so on and so forth. And the other little tidbit I want to bring up, because I don't think I've really heard anybody talk about this, but everybody wants to anchor to the fact that we're going to say 5% off the all-time highs. That's fine, right? It's ever-changing. But they want to say, how can markets be 5% off all-time highs? Why are you marrying your benchmark to all-time highs? You know how many all-time highs we've hit uh, post-2008? Like hundreds of new all-time highs. And David brings it up a lot. The market is not only off of its all-time high, but it's also off of its trend line, right? If coronavirus never happened in 2020... 2020, we could have been up another 10 or 15%. Uh, I don't know, right? We can't play out that scenario. But if that's true, if the market would have been up, again, let's just make it up, market's up 10, 15%, then we're actually 20% off of where all-time highs should be. Right. Yeah, so I I think people forget about that a lot. And you have to remember, um, just like when it came to me with BMX racing, I always wanted to do better. That's what America, kind of the foundation of it is, ambitious entrepreneurs trying to beat year-over-year earnings and profitability and, and, and do business better. And that sort of grit and grind is why when you look at a long-term chart of markets, what does it look like? Up and to the right. right. <laughs> yeah, because they're pivoting and try and find ways to improve their business. And that uh, ambitious culture is what's been so fruitful for markets over the years. And kind of to your point, uh, this year is it's unprecedented you know we we haven't had administration like this we haven't had stimulus funding like this and we haven't had a pandemic like this so when you combine all of those you know 2020 might not look like any other year we've seen but um a lot i think a lot of the stimulus hasn't been priced into the system or it's getting priced in so who knows what the next three four or five years look like yeah i mean isn't that a great response when people are saying hey the economy completely turned off for six months and then you're like yeah, do you know they unleashed like five to six trillion dollars? And what will be the stimulative effects of that over the long term? And I think David gets into this, but there's not only stimulative effects, but there's negative effects of that that are deeper and create cracks in the system and so on and so forth. So I'll wrap it up here. I included a a chart at the end of this, which also I think is David's chart of the week for for Dividend Cafe. But uh, I wanted to comfort Uh, the readers and the listeners, that if they were surprised by what's happening in 2020 after all these bad news, guess what? You're in good company. The experts were absolutely surprised. (laughs) I included the City Economic Surprise Index, and it hit an all-time high. Uh, And basically what it's measuring is what the consensus expectation of economists were 
And if the outcome was greater than expected, then that's a surprise. So if you go to the blog this week, you'll see that this index just kind of spikes um, at the end. And it's showing that, hey, you're not alone. A lot of people were surprised by these numbers. Makes sense. Before uh, we close out, anything you want to add? Say hi to your family and kids, maybe? (laughs) No, I'm all set. uh, I'm looking forward to the weekend. And uh, once again, thanks for having me on the Tom podcast. Yeah. And then most importantly, uh, I will wish you a happy Father's Day. And then all of our listeners out there, we want to wish you a happy Father's Day. Exciting news for me. I am a father. But uh, next Thursday, we will be uh, we have a scheduled C-section. So uh, we will be adding to our family. So that's pretty exciting. It's very exciting. Happy Father's Day. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, as we always ask you, if you don't mind rating the podcast, leaving a comment on bottom. And then I know a lot of you are going to love hearing Sean. So we're going to invite him back again to discuss these thoughts on money blogs. And that is a signing off. The Bonson Group is registered with Hightower Securities, LLC, member FINRA and SIPC, and with Hightower Advisors, LLC, a registered investment advisor with the SEC. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities, LLC. Advisory services are offered through Hightower Advisors, LLC. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities. No investment process is free of risk, and there's no guarantee that the investment process or the investment opportunities referenced herein will be profitable. Past performance is not indicative of current or future performance, and it's not a guarantee. The investment opportunities referenced herein may not be suitable for all investors. All data and information referenced herein are from sources believed to be reliable. Any opinions, news, research, analyses, prices, or other information contained in this research is provided as general market commentary. It does not constitute investment advice. The team in Hightower shall not be in any way liable for claims and make no expressed or implied representations or warranties as the accuracy or completeness of the data and other information or for statements or errors contained in or omissions from the obtained data and information referenced herein. The data and information are provided as of the date referenced. Such data and information are subject to change without notice. This document was created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed are solely those of the team and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors, LLC, or any of its affiliates.